perimenopause, which I jokingly call the other P word. Perimenopause. It's going to knock you on your ass. You're going to feel like shit. You're going to da I never want to say it in that doomsday sort of way. I want to say it like, hey, did you know that these are the things that could happen? Because once you know it and you've named it and you've figured it out, I'm not going to say it's easy, but then we can move into like, let's make you feel better. Because sometimes just knowing it makes you feel better. I have a lot of women who are like, oh, now that you told me, I don't even need treatment. I just, I just feel better knowing it, that I'm not crazy, that I'm not dying, that I'm not whatever it is. Because we don't want to scare the listeners here. Well, I just shit my pants, so too late. Awesome. Well, I'm here to clean that shit up. Welcome back to the Big Time Adulting Podcast. I have a very uh, internet popular doctor on with me today, but also very popular in practice because I happen to know through a friend that it is almost impossible to get through the doors of her office because everybody wants Dr. Shiva Gofrani. Shiva has had six miscarriages herself, three children, weight loss surgery, and ovarian cancer. And on her website here, it says Shiva harnesses her personal experience coupled with her professional observations to genuinely help achieve a calmer perspective. Because I love this because you have been through so much personally. So I feel like you're saying that through the lens of I know how it feels to freak out about my health. Shiva, welcome. Thank you. I'm so like truly beyond excited. Everybody loves you and you're fun and you're smart. So it's like the trifecta. Oh my God. Oh my God. Go on, go on. Just kidding. (laughs) So um, do you want to give us like a little bit of your just like personal story background there within all of that? Yes. I a little bit always feel, um, I don't want to say self-conscious, but I feel a little strange sometimes when I joke that it's like the laundry list, like I've had six miscarriages. I had three babies. My oldest son had an intruder and stroke. My middle son had a club foot. I've had like battled my weight my whole life. I had ovarian cancer, endometriosis, because I never wanted to sound like been there, done that, no big deal. I don't empathize with what you're going through. I I say it, first of all, because I think it's valuable to know that all of us, every single person listening mm-hmm. has gone through some level of crap, whatever it is, right? Without even knowing you that well, I know you've gone through things with your family, with your children. And so I think we each could show our cards, as we always say, and see what everyone's been through. And the value of that is that all of us have like overlapping stories. And if we were more transparent and open with each other, then we could heal each other in different ways. So for me, I think I came into being a doctor being empathetic to begin with, but I certainly, for sure, learned so much by the psyche of what it is to, for example, want to get pregnant, not be able to get pregnant, get pregnant, then miscarry, then finally get pregnant, but feel uncomfortable because I was so heavy and then I had a challenging birth. All the different things that came along with it. Be anxious about my ovarian cancer, but also recognize as a doctor that it was only stage two and I was going to be okay. I don't want me having been through it to be a like, oh, that's no big deal. I went through it. I really want it to be a, I kind of get some of the things that you wouldn't even know you're going to feel or that you might feel that you don't want to voice or that your doctor might not understand and have that help in the healing process as opposed to just the very concrete, like this is what it takes to be a medical doctor. So it sounds corny, but I'm legitimately grateful that I've been through all the things I've been through. And of course, listen, I can say that because I'm on the other side of it. The next big thing that comes along, we'll see how grateful I am, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, I resonate so much with a lot of what you said. I'm obviously not a fucking doctor and I have no qualifications whatsoever, but I 
feel like this is kind of a hot topic out there these days, and it should be more of a hot topic because people don't really hear that much about perimenopause. We hear a lot about menopause, or maybe we have heard a lot of like the word menopause over the years. I feel like this is one of those things like you don't actually start really thinking about any of this stuff until you think that I'm on the brink of this or we're on the precipice of going through these phases, right? And I better start fucking thinking about it. Um, But so what the fuck is perimenopause? Like, give us your rundown of your definition of perimenopause. Well, and like I told you before, this is literally one of my like top 10 favorite things to talk about. I love this. So menopause, we, I don't even think we talked a lot about menopause. I just think to your point, people have heard the term menopause and the term perimenopause is so weirdly nebulous that they never heard it or they kind of blew it off. So I always start with the definition of menopause because it's easier. So the definition of menopause is that moment where you've had one year with no period. And on average for us, it's about age 51, meaning once you hit about 51, you'll have had one year with no period. That minute is menopause. And then everything after is theoretically postmenopausal. So that's already confusing, right? Because we use the term menopausal when we really mean postmenopausal. Everything before that year is. I'm going to give you two different words, is either premenopausal, like your daughter, who's, I don't know, eight, however old she is, yeah. my daughter's 12, they're both premenopausal, meaning they haven't gone through menopause yet. Any woman prior to menopause is pre, right, pre, which has no clinical implication, and most doctors don't even use that term other than like a really narrow time where they might be talking about premenopausal breast cancer, for example, because that has certain implications. Then the term we want to talk about today is perimenopause. Peri means that time leading up to or that time surrounding. And that's why it's so confusing, but it's really, it's so clinically important and impactful for women to know because it can last almost 10 years, sometimes more before menopause. So if you do the math, if most of us go through menopause at 51 and perimenopause can last 10, maybe plus years, that means that women in their mid to late 30s, certainly early 40s, are already perimenopausal, which means instead of like this nice sine wave of hormones where the hormones are going up and down and up and down in a really cyclic, predictable fashion, the hallmark of perimenopause is, it's. I always joke, it's predictably unpredictable. Like it, your hormones could be up, down, up, down, up, 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 down, 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 up, down, normal, up and down for six months, then down for two years, then regular uh. for three months. Anything <laughs> can happen which is the crazy fucking shit, right? And knowing that, to me, preemptively is the magic in not then thinking you're crazy, but then recognizing, oh, wait a minute. So this is actually normal. This is These symptoms are very common. This is what nature intended, but we do not have to like sit back and accept it. As I joke, we can say like, sorry, nature, fuck you, not today. We get perimenopause, we understand it, we're gonna, we see that it is natural, and yet we're going to do things to feel better and to treat it. And those things could be the whole gamut. So first of all, I just want to say, fuck my life. And that this is also anything could be happening or nothing could be happening or everything could be happening all throughout the course of, so expect nothing and everything all at once at the same time, but also different times for the next 10 years. And that should that's pretty much sums it up. That's where we're at. And just when you think you figured it out, the next month can knock your ass in a different way. 
I took notes. I asked the audience yesterday some of their questions about perimenopause for you. And I kind of just summarized the things because there were a lot of repeating themes of what people were saying. Um, Now, here are the main takeaways of what the symptoms were that people asked about. So here we go. Period changes, age range, length of time at last, which you already sort of just covered, joint pain, brain fog, anxiety, sleep issues, hair loss, weight gain, libido. Those are just to name a few, I guess. So would you say that all of those symptoms sound like they could be accurately represented by perimenopause and what are we missing? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, to add some, you will sometimes feel hot and sweaty or a little schwitzy or sleep disturbances that are just independent of the hot and sweatiness or in addition to the hot and sweatiness. Your vagina and your vulva are less elastic, so you might have some pain during sex. You probably don't really feel like having sex. You might have a little less hair on your head because of the hormone changes and even find some whiskers on your chin. The weight gain tends to be maybe a little bit more around your middle just because of the way our hormones have the weight kind of stay on our body. And then there's things like the mood changes can be really like ragey, like really angry right before your period and then totally dissipate. And you're like, what happened? Everything feels okay right now. You might have breast tenderness. You might have ovulation pain. So a lot of the symptoms that people were like, wait, that almost sounds like the PMS I had when I was a teenager can Mm -hmm. also kind of resurface in this period of time. Um, So yes, all of those symptoms, not every woman has all of them. Some women only have one of them. Some women have a few of them, then they go away, then they get a few more of them. So it really, it it can vary, which is the hard part. And again, it can be unpredictable. Mm -hmm. The important, the medical part that I always want to address is the two things that are really valuable to look into is if your bleeding is anything more, meaning heavier, longer, more frequent, bleeding through period, like bleeding in between periods or bleeding more than a week or two, then you should get that checked out. Because while it's probably perimenopause, there are other things that could cause it that could be dangerous. So don't ever blow off heavy, irregular bleeding. What would classify as heavy, irregular? Okay. So irregular to us is longer than seven days, Mm -hmm. heavier than what you're used to, because you might be used to two to three pads or tampons a day. You're all of a sudden going to seven. Again, it's likely nothing, but you never know. You should get it checked out. If you're bleeding more frequently than about every 21 days, or if you're bleeding, like gushing for two or three days, and then it goes away. So again, Mm. heavier than usual, longer than usual, bleeding in between periods. And it's kind of, it's not always a distinct, obvious answer. Like something that might be heavier to you might not be heavier to me. But what I'd really try to explain to my patients is have a low threshold to go check that out, because that's an easy thing to rule out. By seeing your doctor, making sure you're up to date on your pap smear and having a pelvic ultrasound, then you've ruled that out and then you can default to, okay, I don't have any other pathology in my pelvis that's causing the bleeding, it's perimenopause. So that's one. And two is your thyroid. Like thyroid dysfunction, which is super common in women, can cause almost all of these changes as well. It's usually not your thyroid. The number of times I've checked someone's thyroid versus it being the thyroid are very small. But you never want that to, we don't want to kind of blow everyone off in their 40s and go, oh, it's just perimenopause and miss that it could be their thyroid, which is a totally different thing to fix. Yeah. And I was like, I'm hesitant to even say like, well, what would it be if it were um, not perimenopause and you were having like lengthier periods or heavier periods and stuff? Because I know that kind of opens a whole other can of worms of things that maybe shouldn't even 
be addressed until you just get it checked out by a doctor, right? Because it's not like you don't want to like, I don't want to, I'm not of the like, I'm not a fan of like planting seeds in somebody's mind about like what could be. It's like basically right. Google, you know, going to Dr. Google. But but I, I'll, I agree, except for the one thing I'd say is, here's the good news. Let's say, God forbid, you had heavy, irregular bleeding. You go to the doctor, they do an ultrasound, and they see something in the lining of the uterus. You will get examined. You will get found and fixed, I say. So mm-hmm. I am a huge proponent of let's not be scared of the things that we can find and fix. So don't mm-hmm. I don't want anyone in the audience to be really anxious. I want them to be like, oh, heavy bleeding. It's likely nothing. I'll get it checked out. If it is something, it's something that can be fixed. That's the good news, right? Yeah, I will say like so personally in my uh, – I would say my perimenopause, I'm fully in it. I would, I would assume at this point, um, I just turned 41, but I started to notice changes, um, especially like hormonal shifts. And I didn't know if it was because, you know, post having kids or if Mm -hmm. it was just, you know, perimenopausal, that kind of thing. I never even really probably considered it to be perimenopause until in the last year or so when I feel like I've been hearing these this mm-hmm. term more yep. and thinking about it more. But my periods have been shorter. Like mm-hmm. I used to happen. be much more like 29 to 31 days type thing. And I'm I can be anywhere from like 25 to 27 these days, which sucks. That sort of like shortening of the length in between times. Heavier for sure. Not like crazy, but like I just never had like a really heavy period before um, I had kids. Like it was just pretty much a non-event for me most of my life, which I feel like that's why it's so jarring to me now. Like what the fuck is happening to my body? You know, why am I now experiencing all these symptoms so much more intensely? And, and like definitely the hormonal fluctuations, that PMS rage that you talk about, sometimes it's so intense. Other months, I hardly notice it. Like you said, this goes in and out. Like it can, it yeah. can and yeah. does and will change and shift monthly, yearly, yeah. whatever. Right. Well, and here's the other interesting part. Like in your case, you went through, how old are your, what's, how old is your oldest? My oldest is about to be 10. Okay. So you think about the last 10 years, like from your late twenties through like this last decade, mm-hmm. you were either pregnant, maybe nursing, mm-hmm. then pregnant again, maybe nursing. And prior to that, I don't know if you're on birth control or not, but so what's interesting is once women get to like their early 40s, there's a weird convergence. Sometimes it's the first time they've been off birth control because they just don't like it anymore. So now their periods are heavier, partially because of perimenopause, partially because of that. Second, what I find really fascinating nowadays is think about we were meant to birth when we were like 16 or 18 years old. Now, many Mm. of us, like I was your age where you are now when I had my third kid. So I was like in the throes of perimenopause with an infant. And you're in the throes of taking care of like, toddler-ish and like preteens in perimenopause. So that also adds to it, right? Like Mm -hmm. all of the hormones and angst and like raginess is just going to be exacerbated because it's hard taking care of kids to begin with. And then it's even harder when your hormones are just battling and fluctuating. So yes, again, Hallmark is unpredictably or predictably unpredictable, but I don't want it to feel like lost hope because again, naming it, like I guess the question I would ask you is, 
did you feel better once you kind of heard like, oh, maybe this is just perimenopause instead of thinking like, oh my God, I'm just crazy and I'm hemorrhaging every month? Yes and no, but I want to get to the reason why no in a second. But that, that is, you did just also answer one other question that somebody had, which is, uh, can you still conceive while you're perimenopausal? And that is obviously yes. Cause Hell you saying you, yes. Yeah. You absolutely can. You can conceive technically till you're done with that 12 months with no period. It gets increasingly less likely as you get further into the process because you're ovulating less frequently or the quality of the ovulation is less, but yes, which is why you got to use birth control even if you think you're perimenopausal because you can absolutely get pregnant. I had my tubes removed after my third C-section, so I'm in the safe zone. I sometimes do get a gas bubble here and there and I'm like, what the fuck was that? And then I'm like, wait a second, it's good. I'm good. I'm not pregnant. That's not a kick. That was just... um, (laughs) So the reason why I was saying... Do I feel better now that I, you know, you're naming it, you know what's going on, or like you realize something normal is happening within your body? Kind of, but also all these symptoms are still there and bothering me. I mean, like the first day of my period, I'm really like affected. I feel like shit, you yeah. know? And I, I would have, it would have been like a non event for me when I was younger. Like maybe, like you were saying, maybe it was because when I was on birth control in my mm-hmm. 20s or whatever. But, um, I guess that's where this leads me to is like, what, what should, and what can people start doing about these symptoms and perimenopause with hormone replacement therapy, other supplements, things like that. This is really important, I think. Many women like you, you're 41, let's say you go to your gynecologist, and this is not to disparage other gynecologists, like I will forever be in defense of the doctors, but there's a lot of reasons like limited time, limited exposure to menopausal like understanding. Um, let's say you go to your doctor. Many doctors will be like, Kaylin, you're only 41, you're not menopausal yet. Because again, they're thinking you're not in menopause, which you're not, but mm-hmm. you are perimenopausal. That's one mistake they kind of make. And to me, what the reason I say it's a mistake is not only is it factually wrong, but then it leads you as the patient to think there's something wrong. So you're either left leaving the office thinking there's something wrong or you're left feeling, I mean, it's a little bit overused, but medically gaslit where they're like, no, you're fine. You're normal. There's nothing wrong. And you're like, really? Because I wanted to like bludgeon someone yesterday. Something's wrong, right? <laughs> so that's one. Two is they often doctors at the behest of the patient will check your hormones. They'll check the female hormones, FSH and estradiol. Those hormones will either look normal on paper, because again, during perimenopause, those hormones won't always look irregular. In fact, they'll often look normal like any other 41-year-old or 35-year-old. And again, they will misleadingly say to you, oh, no, see, your hormones look normal. You're not perimenopausal, which is patently wrong. Because during perimenopause, the hallmark is, again, it's irregular, but your hormones will not reflect that because the range of the hormones is so wide. Mm -hmm. So I really dissuade any woman from asking her gynecologist to check her hormones because the gynecologist should say no, but because they don't have a lot of time to do all this explaining, they just often say yes. And then they don't have time to explain later that the hormones were normal, but you're still perimenopausal. So that's a really important point. I hope it makes sense the way I've said it, but yeah. I want pe- people to know that because I can't tell you how many people call me and they're like, oh my God, and my doctor said that I'm not very menopause and I'm normal, so there's something else wrong, I'm sure, but like they didn't have time to talk about it. And I'm like, no, 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 your doctor just didn't have time to explain that normal hormones does not rule out perimenopause. Okay. Right. So let's say, let's use you as a case report because there's so many different ways to treat different symptoms. But let's say your symptoms right now are 
heavier period, you're feeling ragey, and are you feeling tired? Oh, yes. So like probably the week of for like two days, I feel like I want to sleep like all day. Like I'm super tired. And also the hunger. The hunger hits me like a fucking bag of bricks and I just want to eat the whole house down Ah, for for a day or two. Right? And then it gets better. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one is I would still see your doctor, your primary care, or your gynecologist because I would personally like to make sure that you are not anemic because if you're bleeding heavier than you used to, just anemia and not regular just your your blood count with your hemoglobin, but your ferritin levels, which are your iron stores, can be a little bit low because you have now bled, bled, bled every month. Does that go beyond what your CBC will tell you? You have to go deeper, a level deeper. A little bit deeper, meaning a CBC, which again is covered by insurance, as a screening test will look at your hemoglobin. Your hemoglobin might be normal or a teeny bit low, but your iron studies, where they'll look at your iron and your ferritin, your ferritins are iron stores, those might be low so that you're not officially anemic, anemic, but your iron stores are low because you're kind of chronically bloodletting every month when you think about it and you're not repleting with enough iron. So then you're left exhausted. And that can also lead to like more anxiety, sleep disturbances, hair loss, things like that. So sometimes just a simple CBC with iron studies is enough for you to be like, oh, I'm going to take oral iron right now and then I'm going to feel better. Second is vitamin D3 levels. All of us are D3 deficient. We're all inside. We're not out in the sun enough naked, (laughs) exposing our skin to the sun. So almost all of us are D3 deficient. And the range of D that many doctors kind of go by is on the lower end of the norm. And improving your D3 levels really anecdotally and through some good data can improve things like hot flashes and night sweats, mood, energy levels. So those are easy, right? Like why not just get those checked out? Then if your period was really heavy, I mean, yours sounds like it's heavier, but very cyclic and predictable when you get it so far. So again, just to not inflict fear, I'm not worried. Yours sound very cyclic. If you were my patient, I'd probably say, listen, no harm in doing a pelvic ultrasound because it's a good way to look at your uterus. Make sure you don't have fibroids or a polyp causing the heavy bleeding because those are fixable in a different way. Assuming you don't have fibroids or a polyp or anything else, then the two most straightforward, easy treatments for you would either be just fix the bleeding with a progesterone IUD, even though you don't need birth control because you had your tubes cut, but the progesterone IUD is local progesterone. You wouldn't have your period. If you were anemic, it would stop. And that part of the irregular, annoying perimenopause would be better. And maybe just less bleeding, better iron levels would improve your mood and your exhaustion and all that. Sorry, the the progesterone IUD also replaces your iron? No, but it stops you from bleeding. It fixes the bleeding. Okay, so it stops you from bleeding out all of your iron. Yeah, because you need to, if you bleed every month, you need to replace the the iron that you're losing every month. So what about just like, how about I eat a cheeseburger when I have my period? You could, but is a cheeseburger going to be enough? Because you're going to be taking in the cheeseburger, but is it enough to replace the bleeding that's happening? It might be. Right? Maybe I'll eat two. Maybe I'll eat two. Maybe I'll eat a steak for dinner. But the alternative, you could also go on, for example, the birth control pill because, yes, it is a synthetic hormone. Yes, there are risks and side effects, but there are also benefits like stops ovulation, which would improve your mood, which would decrease your bleeding, which would also decrease risk of ovarian cancer, colon cancer, and uterine cancer. 
So I found on the pill that I really hated the way that it was making me feel monthly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so, but maybe that wasn't just the pill. Maybe that was like all part of perimenopause or whatever. Not, this is not when I was younger. Listen, that's the truth. Not everyone feels great on the pill. Not everyone feels great with an IUD. So you might want to go back to the pill, but try a different brand than what you've used. I don't know what dose you were on or which one. But again, those are the two choices that are kind of the most straightforward Western medical, and they will solve some of your issues, but they'll solve them differently. Mm -hmm. And then there's a host of other things. I mean, you could do acupuncture. You can do what's called biofeedback for mood. And if you had, for example, hot flashes and night sweats, you can do hormone replacement doses that we use postmenopausally, but they're a little tricky to really help when your own hormones are still working. Okay. So that's the other confusing part, right? So that's what we think of when we think of people doing real HRT, hormone replacement therapy, that's for more postmenopausal years, like with uh, estrogen replacement and not, that's really not for while you're still having a period. Is that true? Yes and no. Okay. (laughs) Meaning. Traditionally, yes, most of us would say you're perimenopausal. The hormones we give you were the pill doses, mm-hmm. which are higher doses, because it's easier for the pill doses to control your own hormones, which are still working, but they're working irregularly, right? Mm-hmm. And postmenopausal women were easier to control because we would put them on postmenopausal hormone replacement doses. Now, luckily, we're learning more and more and more. So we do know that we could put perimenopausal women on hormone replacement doses which are lower doses than the birth control pill doses, but it's not as easy to do as being on, if then a postmenopausal woman being on it. Because again, your Caitlin's hormones are still working and they're working erratically. So if I'm throwing you a small dose of hormones to try to help it, it's not going to help it as easily as if I really kind of shut down your own hormones and replacement, replace them. Does that make sense? And again, the birth control pill, higher doses, hormone replacement doses, are lower doses. Mm-hmm. So if I give you lower doses while you're still cycling, it's just going to make it a little harder. It can be done, mm-hmm. but it's not done as easily. It takes a lot of kind of back and forth and discussion about it. So a lot of women after they have a baby will take just a progesterone only pill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. While they're breastfeeding. And I found that to affect me very little and in a good way all around. So I don't know if that's like something for a person like me, maybe that would be better than the full-on birth control pill. I mean, I love this. You're asking some deep questions. So you got to pay attention to these answers, right? Okay. No, am I getting too personal? (sighs) I mean, when you were doing that, you were doing it because in theory, when you're breastfeeding, if you get take estrogen pills, it used to be believed that the traditional birth control pill, which had estrogen and progesterone, might decrease your milk supply. Now we know through data that that's probably not true, but many women want to take a progesterone-only pill just in case so that they don't decrease their milk supply in theory, okay? Now, interestingly, when you're nursing, you're probably suppressing your ovulation anyway. Right. So you probably felt good because your ovulation was suppressed and then you were taking the progesterone-only pill. Right now, you could try a progesterone-only pill, but it might not, you might not feel as good from it because, again, the progesterone-only pill will not suppress ovulation. It'll even out your, your bleeding, hopefully, but it won't suppress ovulation. And so your own body's irregular cycle 
might still affect you. Whereas if you went on the regular combined birth control pill, it would suppress ovulation. I'm going to throw a little wrench at you, which is a good one. There's a new progesterone-only pill called Slind, not to advertise for any company, but it's the only company that makes this one particular brand. And it's a different progesterone-only pill than whatever you were on, I'm sure. And that particular brand does suppress ovulation. So you could go to your doctor and say, hey, I was talking to this gynecologist, and she said, why don't I try Slind? Truly. Yeah. All joking aside, it's a great pill. And that one does suppress ovulation. But if you just go to your doctor and say, I just want a regular progesterone-only pill, the typical generic one does not suppress ovulation. You may feel great, but you may not. Okay. Confusing. So, I know. No, oh, yes, a little. But like, all right. So for the general public, though, let's just yeah. say what you're suggesting. So first suggestion is take the birth control pill to even out your hormones, basically. That's absolutely right? one good suggestion. Yeah. Okay. So, or get this progesterone IUD to to take away your periods and even out your bleeding. So to eliminate your anemia and relieve the bleeding. Right. You might feel better. Bada boom. You might feel better. Yes. So now what about for people who are just pill resistant? They don't want to put any extra hormones in their bodies right now, whatever, for whatever reasons. Right. Don't want to do it. Like for instance, I feel like I fall into that category because I'm really, I have, I don't have my tubes anymore. I'm at not at risk of getting pregnant. So even just to like take um, a pill every day, first of all, I'll probably forget. And second of all, I've had negative experiences on the birth control pill. So like I'm, I'm not as enticed by this, right. this guy, this option. What other types of options could could people use like supplemental type things? Okay. So there are a lot. The hard part is, this is the fact. Women come to me all the time and say, but I don't want to do that because I don't want to take a traditional pill. It's synthetic. I've heard the risks. I totally get it. But then you have to be really willing to delve into things that are going to take a lot of work. So the question for all of us as women and mothers is, we don't want to feel like crap. We say that we want something really effective that's going to be like a one-stop shop, but we don't want the one thing that's the one-stop shop because the fact is, sadly, the easiest one-stop shop for all of us, assuming we're not smoking, assuming we don't have a risk of a blood clot, is the birth control pill or patch or ring, by the way. So if it's like, oh, well, I don't mind it, but I'm going to forget it, then you can use a patch or the vaginal ring. Now, let's say you said, Shiva, I get it, I get it. I'm saying I want a quick fix, but I really don't want that quick fix. Okay, then the things are going to be nutritional changes. So it really does seem like what we're eating does affect us. I hate to say that since I've battled my weight my whole life and I want nothing more to eat like crap and donuts. But when we're eating more processed food, when we're eating especially like processed carbohydrates, like, you know, pasta and bread that isn't necessarily like very nutritional and sugar, we often feel more hot flashes, more mood changes. Generally, like the person who asked about joint pain, a lot of us will get achiness and joint pains and things like that from these processed grains and processed foods. So changing what you're eating, I would never say clean it up because that's so pejorative and like judgy and it's not a matter of clean or not. But the fact is that many of us notice we feel better when we're eating good quality vegetables, good quality proteins, healthy fats, right? So that's one thing you can do. And again, like I mentioned before, acupuncture, really effective mm. during perimenopause and menopause. Is it easy to do? Hell no, because you got to go see someone at least once a week regularly, and it which can is be not expensive. covered by insurance. And it yeah. can be expensive. Again, taking supplements like 
If you needed iron, if you needed vitamin B12, which we didn't even discuss, but that would be included in your iron studies when they look at it. Let's talk about vitamin B12. What? Let's talk about that. Right. So a lot of us are either deficient in B12 or we're just on the low end of normal and taking B12 can help us feel more energy. Yeah. I started recently taking B12. And do you feel any better? I think I do. Yeah. Did you Did you check to see if you needed it? No, I didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so B12 is interesting. Full disclosure with the B12. The reason why I took B12 is because my mom was taking B12 and she would say, oh, you're going to have some cocktails. Take a B- B12. So it would be like, I don't always take it like every day, but like if it was Saturday night, we were going out having a few pops, I'll pop a B12 before bed. And you, okay. So listen, if you're taking it once or twice a week, you're probably fine. If you're taking it every day and you don't need it, you could overdose. It's not that dangerous, but you don't want to take too much B12. Mm. D3, I talk about it all the time. It's like my favorite supplement vitamin slash hormone because it's really a hormone to take because it's really hard to overdose on it. And I can predict that again, like I'm looking at you when you go outside, you're wearing clothes or sunscreen, which means you're not getting enough D3 from the sun. Right. Okay. So I'm sure your D3 either deficient or on the low end of normal. And mm-hmm. taking D3 is really valuable because it helps so much. I mean, it helps your bones. It helps your brain. It helps hormones. It helps potentially reduce the risk of cancers and it reduces your, your like hot flashes and night sweats. So D3 is really valuable. And then there's, there's actually herbs. I mean, you can take things like black cohosh and Don Kwai and a bunch of different herbs that may truly help your perimenopause symptoms. But you kind of just have to play with it. And the question is, are any of us, I mean, I'm not in my 40s anymore, but are any of you in your 40s with your kids and life and work and all that, are you in a position to kind of experiment on and off? I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying that what I see is that the frustration comes when as people, we want something that's going to work, but we want it to work quickly. Right. Like, and those are things, those supplemental things that you have to be patient with and eliminate others to know what's really working or what's not really working or. Right. And that's hard. I had been taking uh, evening primrose oil as well for a while. And I felt, I felt that that did help me. Um, Good. Why'd you stop? I forgot to take it. I don't know, this past month, but like what will happen is that I think that if I have forgotten to take it and then I go through like a really shitty PMS week, I'll be like, I forgot to take my evening primrose oil. And then I'll, I'll re-up it for the next month and be diligent and take it every day. And then we'll notice a good difference in like my mood. It's a mood thing for me. It's not symptoms wise. It doesn't affect like, um, any like the cramping or like the bloating or the bleeding. It's just more of the, you know what? I I really get that, that premenstrual angst a lot. I get like Mm -hmm. a lot more anxiety the week leading into my period. And, um, I feel a little bit more down than usual. I also feel more sassy. Yes. Like I used to joke that if my, if my, I was about to get my period and it was a day that I was home with my kids, I was truly like gritting my teeth filled mm-hmm. with rage and anger directed towards them for some reason. It didn't seem to happen when I was in my office towards my patients. I don't know why, but okay. So like for that, for example, there's an over-the-counter supplement called Serenol that is pollen, Swedish pollen that can help with mood. And later when you become post-menopausal, it can help with hot flashes. Or you can try even taking vitamin C. Or by the way, my trick for remembering what I have to take every night, like I take my D3 and I take magnesium diligently every night. 
I keep it next to my toothbrush because yeah. it's the only thing that I say, like, no matter how batshit crazy my day is, I brush my teeth every single night. And what are right? you taking your magnesium for? Pooping, anxiety, sleeping, and leg cramps. Okay. So let's go back to this magnesium. That doesn't, but that, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the perimenopause. That's just, just separate. I would tell it. Man, woman, any age, if you're having trouble sleeping, pooping, anxiety, and leg cramps, take your, take your magnesium. And it also helps vitamin D3 absorb. So that's an extra boost. I'm throwing it into the mix. I'm putting it in the mix. Fuck it. Yeah. I'm doing it all. Like those two, D3 and magnesium to me are very easy things to take because again, the, the risk of taking them is incredibly small. The upside is very high. I don't care what brand you use. Like I'm not a fan of like buying super expensive, like minor from, you know, I hate to say it, but the big store that we all order from online. So I think to me, those are easy gimmies that help a lot. I mean, I should be riddled with menopausal symptoms from my ovaries being removed surgically at 46. And listen, I'm not leading like the cleanest life, but the, the few things that I really try to do really help. D3 and magnesium have helped me a lot. Not eating a ton of bread and rice and pasta and sugar, but I still, when I eat them, I eat them and I know I'm going to hot flash, but since I know what's causing it, I'm okay with it. Yeah. You know? Yes. Like it's like, okay, I'm going to choose that. I, cho I choose hot flash today yeah. because I'm choosing, yeah. I'm choosing carbs. The margarita. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, you know, you, you, you can't have it all. You can't. Well, that's why I want everyone to think like, I don't want this to be like, now we've named it and now we can fix it magically. It's now we've named it. So we don't feel crazy. So we don't feel like we're being blown off. So we don't feel like there's something wrong. And good news, bad news. We have a ton of things that we can try, but we have to recognize that it's a process of trial and error based on how we feel, what we want, what our medical history is. So there's a lot that goes into it. It's not simple. I mean, that's why I talk about it a lot on yeah on Instagram. On the gram. So I kind of want to just like see if I can give a synopsis of this and you can say, yes, that kind of is what I'm saying or not. So basically a quicker overall fix that's like a comprehensive way to deal with this would be to get on a synthetic birth control pill. Yes. Then other like less quick fixes that you might need to be patient with and trial and error would be supplement stuff. Like, and if you are going to do like an iron or a B12, you would want to get those levels tested to make sure that you're actually deficient in those areas before you just start throwing extra supplements in those categories. Exactly. However, D3 and magnesium, go for it, balls to the wall, do it every day. No problem. Well, to not piss off the internists who are listening to this potentially, D3 also get checked, but you're much less likely to overdose on D3. Like you have to try hard to overdose on D3. Yeah. Magnesium, there's no point in checking levels because magnesium is not something that we can really check that easily on your blood test where you're going to see if you're deficient or not. Good. Do you ever, I did a good job on there. With, you did a great job. I passed the test. With a lot of information. I love this stuff. I mean, in some ways I feel like I know my marching orders right now. I'm definitely going to get going on the D3 and the magnesium and try to remain more consistent on my evening primrose oil. I hadn't heard of those other two supplements that you meant, but go, go, go hash, goulash, baba ganoush. <laughs> which baba, baba ganoush is always a good one to try. <laughs> um, no, black cohosh and dong kwai, which are really just two of the many herbs that people can try. What's the Swedish pollen extract said you were saying was good for hot flashes and, and sweating? Yeah, that's called Relizen. 
is the hot flash version and the PMS version is Serenol. And they're the same company. If they, if people go to, Bo- we're not being sponsored, but bonafide.com, they'll see it. Um, and I never want to say herbs are harmless. They are not harmless. If they are able to work, that means there's also potentially small risk, but the risk profile is really narrow. So if someone says, I really don't want to try anything synthetic, I don't want a birth control pill. I don't want a progesterone IUD. I don't want all these other things that you can offer as a traditional Western medical doctor, then try some of the herbs. But I also ask for like a level of buy-in and maturity in this, that if you want me to give you a quick fix, I'm going to give you the quick fix. If you tell me like, listen, I got three kids or I'm working a lot. I don't have time. I'm going to tell you birth control pill patch ring. If you accept that I'm not going to give you a quick fix, then we can, we can work through things and every couple of weeks or months try to figure out what we need to add or delete. What about, okay, this is another multifaceted question for you. I'm, this is getting deeper and deeper. But we, when you talk about going on birth control, a lot of people wrote back about weight gain and how yeah. you know they're, they feel like they've been most affected by weight gain. When are these muffin tops going to go away? What about this weight gain? How can I lose this extra bloat? What do I do? And birth control is known to cause weight gain as well. Is it? Isn't it? <laughs> I always feel like every time I would go on the, I would get that disclaimer from a doc, from my, my OB being like, it can cause weight gain of up to 10 pounds or whatever. It Well, and so 30% of patients will gain, 30 will lose, and 30 will stay the same Ooh. is the data, which is kind of probably like what happens in the regular population. Though I do think like, listen, I think those of us who are more apt to gain weight will probably gain weight. Those of us who are more apt to like, no matter what I do, I don't gain weight. They probably will stay the same. I don't know those people. I mean, who I do are know those people. They're not me. They're not me. Um, so I don't want to poo-poo and be like, no, it doesn't gain weight. Absolutely. Some people will gain weight on the pill, just like they will with like Prozac, Lexapro, things like that, mm-hmm. which can also help with hot flashes, by the way. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but so it's like anything else. Every person has to decide, like, am I willing to try the pill because I know it's going to suppress ovulation and help with all the things, my hot flushes, my night sweats, my mood, my ovulation pain, my heavy bleeding. It'll help with all those things. And I'm going to change what I'm eating because in that period of time when I'm in my 40s, my metabolism really might change a little bit. And that same number of calories or the same quality of calories isn't going to work for me. So now I have to actually really eliminate some of the things that I didn't have to eliminate when I was in my 30s. Like I need to eliminate more of the processed carbs and stuff like that so that I can continue to be on the pill or I have to improve my protein intake in perimenopause and Mm. do weight training, right? So again, if you really want to be on the pill, but you don't like the weight gain, I wouldn't say don't go on it. I would say go on it cognizant of the things that you need to do to try to help the weight gain because the weight gain is a real thing. Yeah. First, like it sucks being a woman. Yeah. Right. And yet- it's like I said, honey, how did we start this when you said, how are you? I said, miserable and magical. Like, miserable yeah. and magical. I mean, being a woman is insane. And yet I would never want to be a man. No, I would love to. I would love to do without menstruation for our whole life, but I'd never want to be a man. It's the menstruation thing that really blows in these hormonal fluctuations and all this shit that we're dealing with. And the fact that it lasts so long. I was also thinking about all this shit, like, Let's just accept the fact that our bodies change after a certain age and get the fuck over it and be okay yeah. with that too. You know, it's yeah. just like lean into it. Have another yeah. piece of cake. Have have yourself a snack. And listen, to all the ladies who are in their 40s, I promise you, like I am 53 and I'm not gonna be like, I've never felt better. Like there are definitely times I feel like shit. Like I've never felt worse. But overall, like the emotional changes that come with 
accepting things more. Mm. And then you get on the other side of the fluctuations of your hormones. You get to the point where your hormones are just down, but then it's easier to deal with. It's the fluctuations in your 40s that really make it hard. So the, so the good news is there is a light at the end of this tunnel. I promise. Yeah. I, I, a lot of people did say, why don't we, why isn't this like more talked about? Why don't people talk about this more? And I think a part of the reason is because people don't, there's not, science doesn't study women very much. Like not at all. So they don't study or care about women. They don't have the answers for us. So it's like, that's why, right? Probably that's why it's not taught because nobody fucking knows what to do with these magical vaginas of ours. Well, I think we didn't know what to do. What we did know was was damaged and wrong. And here's the other part. Listen, you and I have been talking for almost an hour and we are scratching the surface. So the other part of it is this. To all the people listening, please don't go to your 15 to 20 minute doctor's appointment and then be annoyed that you didn't get all the information. There's like no way to get it all unless you're really willing to like sit and listen for a while. And so no one doctor can do that in a 15 to 20 minute. They want to. Well, not all want to, but the ones who do want to still couldn't. Like you, you know that I talk a lot and I talk fast. I couldn't get everything in in 15 to 20 minutes with a patient. And so what the patients really need is more information. And what the doctor and patients both need would be more time, which our insurance company don't allow for. Um, and so you just have to recognize that so that you don't get so frustrated and kind of go back a few times, make a few appointments. Yes, that's annoying. You don't have time. You're working all the things in life. But learning from like platforms like yours can be really helpful because hopefully if people have listened to this, I'm hoping they're going to go into their doctor's appointment a little bit more educated about it. Informed. Yeah. I learned so much after these last 55 minutes, which I also told you I was only going to keep you for like a half an hour. So sorry mm-hmm. about that. As you know, I told you I love talking about it. Tell everybody before I let you go about Tribe Called V. Tribe Called V. So Tribe Called V is our online OBGYN health platform where me and Jenny, my business partner, try to teach about all the things that we can that most women never get to learn about, like everything from HPV, herpes, periods, birth control, cancer, perimenopause, menopause, pregnancy. So we have our pregnancy class that people can get. We have a perimenopause Zoom that's up and we're building and growing. We have tons of free videos, like all the stuff I do on Instagram is on our platform. And we're going to rebrand really soon in the next couple months with like a new name and new platform because the purpose is I want to be able to teach people all these things so that they go to their doctor, they're more informed, and they help the doctor and themselves so that they walk in and go, hey, I already know that I'm 41 and probably this is perimenopause, but here's what I'm feeling, ABC, what do you think about XYZ? I don't want them to have to go in and have the doctor have to do all the teaching from the beginning. Not because the doctors don't want to do it, but they just don't have the time. And you have to follow Shiva on Instagram at her account, which is called Big Love Fierce Juju, which I love is that your freaking account name. It's so fun. Um, <laughs> but I'll put that in the show notes and I'll put Tribe Called V um, in the show notes so people can find you there too. Um, that I mean, I think that wrap, wraps it up. We're all fucked for the next 10 plus years. And then after that, when we stop having our period, we're still fucked and we're going to get some more hormones to help. No, we're going to be good. We're going to be miserable and magical any given day, day, week, year. Miserable right? and okay. magical. I love it. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Love you back. Thanks so much for being here. For more information on today's episode, visit my show notes. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a review. Now get yourself a snack.